This was a previously recorded LinkedIn and YouTube live stream on April 21st. Links are in the description. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Level Up Experience. This is episode number 33. I've got Marcus Howard, the CEO of Project MQ, an experiential marketing agency that uses video games to help colleges and other brands more effectively engage younger audiences. He's also the president of the Tampa Association of Gaming, a nonprofit dedicated to growing the gaming industry and STEM youth programs in the Tampa Bay region. We're discussing his experience as a startup founder in gaming, why the industry will play a major role in education for the future, the current esports industry outlook, projects his team are currently working on, and questions from the live stream. Hope you enjoy. Here, Marcus, if you can give us a, a two-minute uh, overview about yourself for those that may not know, that'd be great. Sure. So uh, I have an identical twin brother. He's not here because he lives in Georgia, but we got Super Mario Brothers 3 for Christmas when we were six. We've been playing video games ever since. It actually inspired us to pursue technology careers. We started making our first video game in ninth grade on the TIA 3 Plus graphing calculator. Fast forward 10 years, we have our degrees, mine in IT with a minor in management, his in computer science. We still loved playing video games and wanted to make our own game again. Um, and we recognized that game discovery has been bo- broken for decades. It's one of the largest opportunities in the $152 billion gaming industry. So to solve that problem, we built a multimedia search engine exclusively for indie games. We scaled that in 2018 to about 100 curated games from 40 countries around the world. Uh, Unfortunately, because we couldn't get funding, uh, external funding, we couldn't support the growth strategy and the expenses for the server to keep the site running. So we pivoted from B2C, kind of solving game discovery for gamers and indie studios, to B2B to C, helping colleges and other brands use video games to engage with younger audiences. So that's what I do on nights and weekends. I still have my full-time job and I also lead a, a nonprofit dedicated to growing, like you said, the gaming industry and STEM youth programs here in Tampa Bay. So I drink a lot of coffee. There's only water in here right now, but tomorrow morning it's gonna be full of coffee. No, I'm with you. You hit that. What's your threshold on the coffee? Like, when do you stop drinking coffee? I love asking people that question. Like, what's the time of day? Normally three o'clock, right around six. I was thinking about drinking a cup of coffee. I was like, you know what? That's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm, like, it's a terrible idea. I'm still figuring out myself, so I like to ask and figure out when I should probably stop. So, um, yeah. no, I appreciate I appreciate sharing that. We have we have a lot to cover. Um, you have a lot a lot of knowledge in the space, um, not just in gaming and esports, but just in the startup space as well. Can you kind of dive into a little bit of just the, the startup journey that started around 2007 for you guys? Sure. So before we graduated from college, uh, my brother and I were working with a startup. They were recommended to us through the university. They were trying to build the cloud before the cloud was a thing. Uh, We were building a web app where you could upload any type of data and our app would read that data and display it in the the graph format you needed. So if it was a bar chart or a pie chart uh, or sorry, bar graph or pie chart or a gas gauge, that was the platform we built. Uh, Unfortunately, we were too, as a business, we were just the technical side. As a business, the group decided that we needed to do something focused on one specific platform instead of making it purely web-based. So we ended up dedicating a lot of resources to one platform or the other instead of like web applications as they are now very common. And so that approach didn't work out and uh, the company folded in. But that was, that was our first opportunity in 2007. And in 2013, Malcolm and I launched our own company. Well, 2011, we started Project MQ in 2013. Gotcha. Um, and then recently, you all have uh, done a pivot. Can you talk about that a little bit um, going into, into the college space? Sure. So it was you know a really difficult conversation towards the end of last year. Uh, Malcolm and I had both gotten laid off at our full-time jobs, so we were reassessing everything um, and looking at, you know, how much were we putting into the business versus how much were we getting back from it and looked at the revenue from 2018 and 2019. Over the course of those two years, about 70% of it was from esports, from live events and esports engagements. Um, and actually, over the entire seven-year span, none of it had come from the actual website. So the question was, do we keep blindly following this passion, even though we don't have a defined business structure and business model around it? Or do we actually follow the demand of the market, which is shifting into esports? And we recognize that, um, you know, for the last eight consecutive years, college enrollment has decreased nationwide. 
Um, and even though 97% of kids 12 to 17 play video games, less than 4% of colleges have college scholarships, which we recognize as like the pinnacle of your esports infrastructure. You're not going to have scholarships if you don't have a team, you don't have a coach, you don't have training facility. So we wanted to leverage the network and the, the tech that we built over the last seven years. So by sticking with indie games, we could continue to leverage those assets and that network and that technology and still serve this new purpose. Talk about your all's passion behind behind indie games, because there, there is a, a high level of passion when it comes to the space. Um, talk about that and, and what it means to you guys. Yeah, I think it's first and foremost is it supports small businesses. Um, we talked to a lot of indie developers around the world. Again, we had, you know, games from 40 countries on our site. Many of them were doing the same thing we were doing. They were working day jobs and on nights and weekends, they were just building something of a creative passion for them. And we wanted to support their success. And we also wanted to build our own game. The only reason, well, not the only reason, but the, the first reason we created Project MQ was to scratch an itch that we had. Like we wanted to solve game discovery so that we could go back and finish our game. And that's actually still a back burner, back burner, back burner plan is to ultimately get back and finish the game. Got, gotcha. Um, well, hey, I'm going to I'm gonna jump into chat, give a couple shout outs real quick. Thank you all so much for being here on all platforms. Uh, Charles Spencer, Robert Matthews, how's it going? Uh, Alicia, how are you guys? Uh, make sure to jump in with some questions and comments, especially um, if you are a part of a startup, if you you're in, in the indie game space. I think there's some interesting conversations around around all those spaces, and it's all kind of come together. Um, you know, especially you know, obviously with the last month and a half, what we've all kind of dealt with. Uh, before we even jumped on here, we were talking about uh, uh, balance uh, with family. You know, I think we're all in different situations with family and things like that. But uh, I guess maybe it's a little bit of a shift. But talk about that, like balancing, you know, working with a nonprofit, a startup, your family, and um, kind of some of your uh, observations on that. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I'm very <laughs> candid. I'm working at it every day. I'm much better at it now than I was three years ago, but I, I could probably say candidly, there were times where me trying to focus on my business threatened my marriage. So I had to reassess what was important and the reason that I'm doing the things that I'm doing. Ultimately, I want to leave a legacy for my family and my kids. But if, if I drive them away because I want to focus on building this, then what am I doing this for? So for me, it's literally come down to scheduling time in my schedule for family, not just my immediate family. Like I, I scheduled time for meeting and talking to my brother and my sister and my parents, because if I don't do that, my startup and my startup responsibilities, including the nonprofit, will grow to consume all available free time, including waking me up in the middle of the night. Um, when, I, when I had our startup before, when we were in the indie game space, because we had a global community on, on Twitter, we had um, 37,000 fans in 120 countries. There was always somewhere where it was eight o'clock in the morning. So I'd be answering like tweets and text messages at, like 3 a.m. because it was always eight o'clock somewhere. I had to put a stop to that. Right, because eventually, I don't know, I kind of see it as like the flame burns out. Eventually, yeah. like, and, and you don't know when that's gonna be and and you don't even know when it's gonna happen, but Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really important to have, like you said, that perspective and balance. Uh, and I, I don't I, just for me, I think it's important to bring up because a lot of people are watching or in, or in the startup space. Um, uh, well, we're all in the, in the, uh, in the job space and we all have some type of job. Uh, and a lot of that has been, has been threatened over the last few weeks. Um, cause it also brings me to the point here. I'd love to get your take on this as well. Um, you know, obviously with, with the esports, we're talking esports just for a minute, but, um, as far as, uh, viewership, um, a, lot, a lot of the hype around the, the last six weeks around activations around esports coming from traditional sports and things like that. Um, while a lot of that's going on in viewership and, and you know Discord taking off, Twitch taking off, things like that, um, I think there may be this um, this understanding that the esports industry hasn't taken a hit and that jobs haven't been lost and that companies haven't gone under, and that's just not the case, I guess. Um, to throw it out there and just to be more of a realist on all that. Um, so what is your perspective on that being, being involved in the space and um, how, you know, if, if there's someone out there that um, has lost their job um, or, or has to, to pivot because of what's happened, like what would be some advice you would give to them? 
That's tough. Um, immediately what I would say is make getting a new job your full-time job. <laughs> my parents told me that. My brother and I were back from college one year. I think we might have gotten a couple C's or D's because we weren't really serious about school at the point. And so we were just sitting around the house just like playing video games. It said, you know, you're not going to be sitting around in our house breathing up all our AC while I'm at work. You know, you need to go find a job. And, and when I got laid off at my job before I got this current job, it was like four weeks after my son was born. And, and as soon as I found out, like that minute, I was on the computer looking for another job. And I spent the next 40 hours of the next two weeks looking for jobs. And I got a new job four weeks after the announcement of getting laid off, but only because I spent every waking moment of what would have normally been a 40 hour work week looking for a job. So I think you got to be serious about your job search. You can't just casually look for a job. You have to be intentional about it. And then network. You know, I think the other thing you have to do is, is get your ego out of the way. One of the first things I did was I posted on LinkedIn, hey, I got laid off from my job. I'm looking for something else. And again, I got hired on in four weeks. My brother would never take that step. He didn't want to announce that he was laid off from his job. And it took him six months, six months plus to get hired again, whereas I got hired in four weeks. So you have to be willing to humble yourself and say, people get laid off from jobs, even if, if they're exceptional what they do. You need to be willing to lean in on your community and ask for help. No, and I appreciate that. Uh, and again, so, I mean, companies can move off of great employees, you know, it's it, because of their situation, the company situation, not the individual itself, their self. So, uh, no, I think, I think that's a good point. I think there may have been somebody out there that needed to hear that. That's kind of why mm -hmm. I kind of brought that up. Um, so I think it's important right now. Uh, I do want to shift. So again, love to get some questions or comments throughout and love to ask these uh, throughout the next 30 minutes or so. Uh, I do want to start with tell us a little bit about business uh, games borders. Okay, can you say that again? It's breaking up a little bit here. I'm going to close some of these tabs. Let's cut down yeah. on the bandwidth here. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about uh, Tencent's games for devs worldwide. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So Tencent Games launched Games Without Borders um, last March. It was an effort to support indie devs worldwide because uh, you may or may not know this. They have WeGame, which is an extension of WeChat uh, outside. Steam is the largest PC games uh, e-commerce and distribution platform in the world outside of China. Inside of China, WeGame is the largest platform. And actually, because of the number of users, they're the largest in the world. So Tencent has a platform like Steam for distributing games. What they don't have is a, a wide enough funnel on games to fill that platform with. And they, they have their own games, right? First party games that they publish and some they're doing deals with. But in order to, to meet the demand of an entire segment like the size of China, there are more gamers in China than there are people in the United States. Um, they need more games. So this is them supporting the community and also satisfying that funnel of, of deal flow to get games into gamers' hands. And so they provide funding and distribution support and, and partnered with us back then as a, um, a marketing partner where they knew we had a global community of indie devs and indie game fans and for us to promote their program and refer games to them. Now we're taking that to the next level. They're going to be partnering with us on a esports and STEM activation next year for the Super Bowl when it comes here to Tampa Bay. Very cool. Um, and, you, and you mentioned STEM. Uh, obviously, STEM and STEAM go together. What are your thoughts um, over the next few years? I've had some really cool conversations around education and gaming, uh, gaming and esports, and what that means for our, our future leaders, the future generation, um, how that can bridge a lot of gaps between where they are. Uh, you know, like in high school and then bringing them into the workforce and what that means for them and opportunities for them. So if you enlighten us a little bit on that. I think it's one of the most untapped opportunities in esports is bridging the gap between I casually play video games or I competitively play video games recreationally to there is a professional career on the other side of this. And mostly because for the longest time, video games are stigmatized, right? Um, when we were in ninth grade building our own first game on our TIA three plus graphing calculator, we were using that same calculator to play like drug wars and Tetris, right? Instead of listening to our math teacher. 
So when we were at lunch, she went by everyone's desk and erased the memory off the, the calculators to destroy the games, but it also destroyed our game. She couldn't see the value in us learning to code in ninth grade as an extension of playing video games. Uh, and, and so that's a lot of what we're doing with TAG here in Tampa Bay is helping educate both the schools and the parents and the students about the, the many lucrative opportunities in gaming and esports. You know, there's the broadcast side, there's writing, there's, uh, I don't have a list in front of me, but I'll have to send you the graphic if I have it. There's 88 careers just on the esports side that doesn't even include like game development the business side of making games possible. I tell people all the time, if you want to see where esports is going to go, take the traditional sports industry and then just copy and paste it into a virtual environment. We're already seeing arenas. We're already seeing teams. We're already seeing merchandise. But everything that makes traditional sports go and, and survive and, and thrive is going to happen in the esports space. So that gives you a very clear view of what the career opportunities are in esports. And like just one part of it is production and and, and YouTube. I mean, you, and yeah. you look at what some some YouTube, you know, look, not every YouTube channel is a superstar YouTube channel and all that, but the yeah. opportunity there that's, that's it's, you know, anyone can start a channel, right? Yeah. And, and that's what, that's the beauty of it. And, um, and that's just media in general today. And anyone can start a podcast. Um, yeah. it, it, the, the barrier to entry is not what it was, you know, just even 10 years ago. Um, so for them to learn that skill set when it may look as if they're wasting their time, like, Oh, get off, you know, get off YouTube is where you're wasting your time. Well, really? Well, learning how to make a channel. Is that yeah. a waste of time? <laughs> you know, Building you know, a small I, business, right? right exa exactly. And then the, the value around content creation, uh, that's just going to continue. I, I don't ever really see in that, you know, all of a sudden reversing and say, Oh, well, content's not as important as it was last year. I don't think you're going to be able to say that for, I don't know how long. So understanding the, the, uh, how to make content. And I know that's a big, broad uh, statement, but that's, that's very important. And every business needs to know how to do that. So if you have the ability to do that and to walk them through that process, then that's, I mean, that's a skill that can be learned on YouTube. That's my point. So mm -hmm. you're not wasting your time, you know, just, Oh, you're on YouTube, waste your time. That's not, that's not the case. So I think it's something that, like you're saying on the other side for them to be aware of. Yeah, when you look at the future of, of content and the consumers, right? Uh, right now, 87% of Gen Z uses some form of ad blocking tech, and only 18% of that same demographic, again, the future consumers, watches cable content on a weekly basis, which means if you are a traditional business and you're trying to use traditional advertising to reach them, you can't uh, unless you're leaning in on social and native advertising through content, which is exactly what you're talking about on YouTube. So the demand for that skill set is just going to get exponentially larger as time goes by and as you know it's a it's a different language it's yeah. just it's just different and it's that's why a lot of times you're like if you're using a new platform you have to kind of take it in and feel it out and understand what the language is and what the cadence is every platform is very different i, just, I love talking about that stuff i think it's i think it's really interesting and it's a skill set that anyone can learn therefore it doesn't have it like it's not like you can't just you can't, you know, make revenue on it. You have to be 18 years old or you know, there's no barrier on that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, uh, there's that the other side of the education of, you know, let, letting the educators know, like, this is what is available. You know, uh, I think that's important. So, uh, yeah. So Ken jumped in, uh, Ken had a question, uh, well, a comment and a couple of questions here. So dedication to grow gaming and STEM youth programs is a fantastic initiative. Uh, what are your thoughts in making it equitable? for kids and families who may not have the extra funds to spend on technology. That's a challenge that actually we're working on right now. So it's a great question, Ken. Um, we're not specifically trying to, to solve that problem, but there's another organization in Tampa Bay called the mainframe. They recently launched a GoFundMe to go raise funding from local businesses, including Microsoft, which obviously has a significant presence in gaming to provide use laptops, you know, market retail price around $200 each to kids who just don't have laptops at home. Um, so not only can they not game, but they can't even do distance school because they don't have the equipment at home. You know, never mind the internet access. I think what you need is, is what I'm proud to see happening in, in Miami and Atlanta and Jacksonville. Um, there's a nonprofit called 8 to 80, which is part of the Forever Young Foundation that Steve Young and Jerry Rice, NFL legends. They are launching a nationwide series of nonprofit esports.
All right, guys. Hey, thanks for the questions coming in. Uh, keep bringing those in there. We're going to we'll get uh, Marcus back up in just one second with the uh, connection issue. So thanks, Ken, for throwing in a question. Uh, Charles, thanks for jumping in. Uh, and then Ben actually jumped in with a question as well. So we'll get, we'll get to those. Uh, I'm going to try to get him back on here as we go through here. Uh, Thirsty Mind, thanks, thanks for the question. So, yeah, yeah, we lost him for a second. Give me one second here. Let's see if we can get him back. Yeah, so Charles, so still new to understanding blockchain. How does it help a gaming and esports? We'll get to that in just a moment. Before we get him back here, I think he was having connection issues. Uh, Joe, yeah, we can get, I'll get you hooked up and we'll get you more information uh, with the organization. I think you're talking about out of Tampa. Yeah, he's back. Yeah, sorry about that. There so I, I canceled out everything else that I'm running on my laptop because apparently that was too much. But long answer short, <laughs> um, there, there are nonprofits starting to address that issue. And, and I talk about that every once in a while. I even had the conversation last week that not everyone can game at the same level, right? You, you have to have several thousand dollars to have a good enough gaming rig, PC rig, to play FPSs competitively. Um, and so people who don't have those funds typically game on console. And you can kind of see that reflected in, in these larger events, uh, the, the national exposure events, high publicity events, where it's typically you know, not a very diverse group of people who are competing at a high level is because they don't have access to the equipment to train and be competitive at that level. So I think you'll hopefully see like libraries and local schools and, and those types of organizations stand up these arenas or at least allow their space to be used so that people who don't have those, the funds to pay for the equipment can still be competitive and successful. So you think more community centers, more access, more availability, again, for, for those that may not have it. Yeah. I'd love to see those in libraries, right? I don't know, you know, a lot of libraries, computers are being used that often. I don't go to library every day, but my guess is it's not used that often. That's just unused equipment that could be used repurposed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ken, so thanks for the question. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, Charles, we'll get to yours just one second. Uh, so Ben jumped in. Uh, Esports is still very young, mate maybe too soon to say it would be like traditional sports and that may not be the best path for it. What do you think another future of esports can look like? I think instead of it looking great, great question, Ben, instead of it looking uh, like traditional sports, my view of when esports has arrived is when everyone is playing in esports, but more in a casual capacity from, uh, you know, 10 year olds to folks in senior citizen homes. Right. Uh, just make it more accessible so that everyone can game and use it more as a social activity like you see Fortnite evolving into. You know, they're doing music concerts every so often. It's not just shooting people. It's socializing and, and having a community. And so to the extent that we can make the ecosystem support that on the non-competitive scene, which is some of what we're trying to do here through my company, I think that's how you can have esports really go to scale and not be traditional sports. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk around the casual gaming market. Um and, and while it sounds it may it may sound uh uh bl I don't know bland or I don't know the right word for it. Th that's really where the growth in my opinion like I agree with you long term that's where that's going to come from and that's where that the foundation and the floor is going to be higher mm -hmm. for, for for everything else. Uh and then also you mentioned youth so uh, as for the traditional sports side, um, I, I'm involved in wrestling, been involved in wrestling for a long time. And look, I mean, the ones that get started earlier are just, I mean, they're, look, they're not always better, but they have a better chance to be involved, like, you know, and, and be elite, right? I mean, that's just with, that's with anything, right? So I, that, I, I don't see how it's any different with, within the esports space, with, with any titles and any games that they play. So the longer that you're, you're in that ecosystem, the longer you're playing a specific title or a specific type of game, I mean, that's going to give you that 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 upside for your for your skill set. Yeah. So I don't know if you had something on that as well. I think that's why we lean in on indie games, right? Uh, if you look at at the top ten games at esports last year, I want to say like sixty percent of them were shooters, right? Everybody doesn't necessarily have interest in playing shooters, even if you could be really good at playing a specific game, you might not want to play a shooting game. Luckily, there are games like League of Legends and 
uh, Clash of Clans and Rocket League, all three are which technically created by independent game developers. But even those games, maybe you don't want to play those three games or those three games or the all the six games of shooting. I think indie games provide enough variety of experiences that everyone can find a game that they want to be competitive at, right? It could be Overcooked, right? The cooking game that was made by Team 17, indie studio in the UK. It could be uh, Dead Cells as a, a single player game, right? You can have a single player competitive game just like you like javelin throwing or shot put in the Olympics. It's a single player competitive experience, but they play it across a group. So I think there's so much growth opportunity there, but it's going to have to come from indie games because AAA studios making these mainstream titles have to do things that have mass market appeal. No, I, th- I think I think that's a great point. And again, it, it, it's a, it's a numbers game in a lot of in a lot of senses, and and getting more people involved is just that's always a good thing. So that, yeah. that's how it's going to be able to do that. And like you said, you're not you're not just uh, dealing with FPS games. So yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. So jump in. So more questions. We'd love to hear from you guys. Questions, comments uh, from Marcus. Thank you. Thanks a lot, man, for being here. Really appreciate it. Uh, Thirsty Minds. Oh yeah, we'll get. To, so he was asking about information. Uh, with one of the organizations. So I'll get you guys hooked up after this. Yeah. Um, for sure. Yeah. So the Thirsty Minds want to say uh, this will help with a remote solution that, that they're testing out with some of the teachers in your area. What are you, so what are your other thoughts on, on the education side? Um, uh, it, it doesn't have to be directly about with esports, but um, and where that's heading right now. I mean, I mean, just obviously just our mindset on so many things and cultures just changed. It's, it's really, I'm still wrapping my head around what's going on because uh, things have changed so fast, but obviously, I mean, the talk around how education has been um, really, it hasn't changed since I, mean, I was reading an article. Education hasn't changed since the sixties, since Montessori. Right. So uh, yeah. what, what are some ideas and concepts do you think that, that can help, you know, kind of change, um, the mindset of educators uh, with, with with something that hasn't changed in 50 or 60 years? This is probably an unpopular opinion. I think uh, the education system has to evolve or it's going to go extinct. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a guy named Clayton Christensen. He's a Harvard professor. He wrote The Innovator's Dilemma. It's a best-selling business book. Uh, he made a prediction in the next 10 years, 50% of colleges and universities would either go bankrupt or just cease to exist mm-hmm. and, and consolidate as a result. Um, and I think when you see the proliferation of the internet that's happened in the last commercial internet, the last 20, 30 years, it's made information like freely available. And now you have major market leading businesses like Tesla's CEO saying, Hey, you don't need a college degree. You don't even need a high school diploma. Right? So as education standards for professional job success change, colleges become less relevant. So they have to adapt their model to make themselves more relevant and more competitive. And that's why I think you'll start to see like the really smart schools quickly adopt esports because they're meeting the students where they are, right? Again, 97% of students 12 to 17 play video games. That means that they most likely want to play video games when they get to college. If your program doesn't have that and the next school does, if school A doesn't, school B does, it, that would have been a deciding factor for me that I didn't have esports team at Georgia Southern when I went to school there, but I would have most likely chosen a, a school with a gaming program. You probably a good point. One of the things about college growing up is like you go for the experience. Yeah. Okay. If that's true, if you believe in that, then you will hundred percent believe in esports. You yeah. should. You should because that's yeah. been the narrative. I remember growing up, you got to go to college because you need the experience. You know, the whole <laughs> need the experience, right? Yeah. Well, that then if you believe in that, then you are all in on esports right. when it comes to college because mm-hmm. that's that is the experience. You just said it. Yeah. So like that that aligns with it very much, but. That there's there's a massive disconnect, obviously. That, yeah. that those of uh, those of us in the space understand, right? There's a massive disconnect between. Well, wait a minute, you're talking about experience, but then you're completely ignoring what they're doing anyway on a social aspect and things like that. So that's just where my mind. If you, you look at Minecraft, right? Minecraft, you can learn um, chemistry, you can learn coding. Um, some schools are adapting Minecraft to teach even history lessons. And I know a startup that recently moved from Florida up to New York. They built basically a World of Warcraft environment where they apply school curriculums into a virtual space. It's completely gamified end to end. I think you'll start to see that as well because you can have a room full of students be in the same room, but also be virtual, right? And as we're dealing with these social distancing issues, that's like a perfect solution. But even then, like she crowdfunded her game off of Kickstarter and she's technically an indie studio. 
my guess is unless there's a ton of grant funding in games for education, most AAA publicly traded gaming companies are not going to go that route. I know of an indie studio that makes a game that teaches you chemistry, like the periodic table, and it's very engaging. But in my opinion, only indie studio would try to make something like that because it's so niche focused. So that's again, you know, I know I'm repeating myself, but so much innovation in the gaming space is going to come from indie because they're artists first instead of business first, which might not be the best balance, but they also are willing to make those innovative risks that is responsible for the entire battle royale genre, right? Fortnite is a spinoff of uh, PUBG, right? I don't know if you saw that PUBG's company sued the company that makes Fortnite a billion dollars, four billion dollars, because they, they try to claim that Fortnite's company stole the IP around battle royales. You can't sue someone for that, which is what they found out. But <laughs> If it wasn't for the indie studio in South Korea, Bluehole Studios, that made PUBG, and they even adapted it off of DayZ, I believe, which is another indie game, the entire battle royale genre would not exist. Yeah. Um, the, the, okay, so I gotta jump in the chat real quick. So Mendel says, "My sister just did her project in Minecraft." Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, and then the other thing, like on the social aspect of Minecraft, just just real quick, was uh, you know, the, the graduation. Uh, Japanese students did about a month ago because I was talking I had a phone call today I, I was on a call um, and you know uh, she has a she has a son that's graduating and they're trying to figure that out right because I mean there's just not going to happen if it's a graduation not going to happen and I yeah. told her about that story she goes are you serious I'm like yeah that really happened like they, they did a graduation in Minecraft yeah and they had it all set up like in the, the the walkways the chairs and everything that had all set up and we're you know but if it wasn't for that platform to give them the opportunity to do that, they would never have had that experience. Either have the virtual experience or zero. Zero, right? And the, I that's mean, no that, that's literally the story like right now. It's like either have the experience or zero. So whether yeah. it's F1 or other traditional sports to, to activate within esports, mm -hmm. either you do that or you do nothing. Mm -hmm. There is no middle ground anymore, right? Yeah. Um, and that's the same with like the social layer and, and graduations that aren't going to happen and things like that. So it's really, I mean, I, I mean, obviously I'm, obviously I'm ultra biased because I, I think it's rehappening more and it should have happened a lot more, but it's bringing it more to the, like you said earlier, the mainstream mm -hmm. and it's, it's having, there's more of these conversations happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And David, um, yeah, David mentioned, so we saw the professor teaching a math class in half-life Alex. Mm -hmm. like, I saw yeah, that. Like, like stuff like that. Like, I just love that. Absolutely. I love that stuff. Uh, a Gilad Ravid, I got to give him credit. He, he posted that uh, a week ago in chat. I went and looked at it and then put a clip and it was really cool. Uh, they, they, they did a, like a three minute lesson on complimentary angles. Yeah. Like that's <laughs> where they are, right? They're already playing the game, right? You don't have to, don't drag them out of the game to come meet you. Like go where they are. There's more of them where they are than they're, and they have their interest area there. Teach them within the thing they're already engaging in. Because, you know, the other thing I mentioned also, or I thought about, too, is it's, it's a language. Mm -hmm. It's an experience. It's a language. It's an environment they're comfortable in, like you said. So why in the world isn't more of that happening? Um, but it, but again, we say that should, more should be happening, but it already is kind of thing. It's not like this is all new. This is all brand new stuff. Uh, right. There's been – you talk about digital economies. Obviously, you have, uh, you have uh, significant uh, knowledge in the blockchain space, talking about digital assets and things like that. Um, and obviously you played, you've played wow back in the day, back in the day and things like that, how that's a whole economy. Yeah. If you play World of Warcraft. That's a whole economy. And I listened to a podcast, I think a couple of days ago, uh, about, you know, cause I play, I played wow for about a year, but like the gold in that game, mining gold. And yeah. then like, it's a, it's a whole nother, and then buying gold from someone and you have to go to the certain area to get the drop and all that. Like that really happened. And that yeah. still happens. And this, I mean, how old is that? 12 years? <laughs> Like that's yeah, been the an entire black market around World of Warcraft gold. If you remember right. Second Life? Yeah, I didn't get into it. Yeah, I, I was more yeah. WoW. It was before WoW, but it, it yeah. was more, it's more about like actual economies or, mm -hmm. among other things, right? But, but mm -hmm. the design, the, the core design is about building like a real life and a second life. So like schools and businesses and all of this. I think at one point at its height, it had like the 17th largest GDP in the world. Uh, and you can exchange Linden dollars for actual cash. 
right? right. That's an entire digital ecosystem operating a full economy in a virtual environment. Exactly. And obviously, obviously that, that train has left the station more than a decade ago, right? Yeah. I mean, this is not yeah. a new, this is not a new thing, but now you're talking verification and things like that. And that's where blockchain comes into play. Right, so, right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Really cool stuff. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the comments and questions. Let me try to catch up with these. Uh, yeah. Charles said uh, MLB created the players league for the show. Yeah. Uh, baseball still, they're still always lagging. <laughs> they're paying if you will, is you know pretty high on a lot of stuff, I think, but at least they started doing that. Um, yeah, David said it's great that the industry is being highlighted right now for providing opportunities to bring people together during this time, like you said, with F1 or graduation, mm-hmm. just being able to hang out with your friends and then carry uh, a reiterated meet the student where you are. Um, yeah. yeah, so let's let's shift to, to talk a little bit about the encyclopedia of esports and gaming. I think this is really interesting. Sure. So uh, this is the first edition of the book, but I was included in the second edition of this book that launched in Tampa called Best of Tampa Bay uh, from a company called the Global World Villages. And what they did was they highlighted all the major contributors to the innovation ecosystem here in Tampa Bay. Again, this is volume one. In volume two, they, they showcased my company and it was cool to see like the investors and the startups and the universities and and the government and how all those pieces come together to make our ecosystem here work. Um, talking with that team, we decided to do a book specifically on the gaming and esports industry here in North America. So we're looking at both equally the esports market, right, which is a billion dollar market. But uh, for those who aren't familiar, esports is actually only 1% of the global $152 billion gaming industry. So most of the industry is not esports. This book is going to highlight the innovations across both halves. I call them, you know, both sides of the same coin or either side of the same coin so that people in the industry can understand the other opportunities in the space. But I think more importantly, now that we have esports being put on a pedestal, uh, even though we all know it was growing 25% year over here, uh, this is an opportunity for people who didn't know that to get introduced to the space and understand everything that's happening here so they can understand how their businesses can get involved. And again, that's how you take gaming mainstream is by incorporating people who aren't a part of the ecosystem into the ecosystem. So really excited about that. We've already got some great thought leaders involved. Uh, Todd Harris, who is uh, the founder of Skillshot Media, it's the number one production company in Atlanta, which is the number one esports market in the country. Uh, we have the executive director of the IGDA IGDA Foundation, the International Game Developers Association Foundation. Um, We've got folks from Twitch. We've got uh, just luminaries across ecosystem. And I'm I'm trying to be very sincere and intentional about making sure we have the widest representation possible, Uh, race, gender. And then again, obviously, uh, among other areas, also representing esports and gaming evenly. And I have to do that across three countries because there's a lot of innovation happening in Canada. I think maybe even more in the gaming and esports space and there is, is here in the US. Uh, but there is also some in Mexico. So it's it's a great opportunity. It's also a challenge, but I think everyone will appreciate and benefit from it when it's done. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I'm close with the Mookie Esports up in Toronto. Um, and also had Nestor Elizondo from uh, the Mexican Esports League as well. So I've had some cool conversations around, uh, you know, Canada, Mexico as well. And they're, they're innovating as well. And some of the other names uh, involved, there was Keisha Howard, Eric Reynolds, Dr. Mm-hmm. Rochelle Harrell. Um, so just a lot of uh, just leaders in the, in the space. So when does the book come out? It should be out next February, the 5th and 6th. So I talked earlier about us partnering with, Tencent Games on the esports activation. Uh, the Super Bowl should be here if everything goes back to normal in the fall. Should be here um, February 7th, I believe, is a Sunday. So we have a two-day event that we're planning the 5th and the 6th. And during that two-day event, we're going to publicly launch the book for sale. And we're going to take pre-orders starting June 2nd. So in about a month, we'll launch a crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter for people to get pre-orders. The book's going to retail at $100. But through the pre-sale on Kickstarter, they can get the book for $65. So 35% off. All right. Very cool. So look out for that in June then. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, now, so I know a lot of people in the startup space uh, watch the show. Um, and there's there's a lot of uh, events, a lot of virtual events, a lot of um, you know major shifts, obviously, that's happened the last few weeks. 
uh, for startups because I think that's I think it's very important to give the platforms to be able to talk about what they're doing because that's how innovation that's how you give the ability for them to talk about what they're doing. They have to have the platform to do that, right? So you see a lot of those those happening. So what are you guys doing with uh, Pitch Madness, and what what is that, and how can startups get involved with that? Sure. So Pitch Madness is something that started here in Tampa Bay as well. Um, one of the the local founders and innovators here, um, which is kind of tired of seeing the same old format of hey, pitch your business in five minutes, cover uh, you know the the innovation, the problem, the solution, the market, the team, et cetera, et cetera. It was very kind of cookie cutter. What he's developed is a bracket style debate event where uh, you have each round two founders within a market segment uh, on the the earlier rounds in the same segment will get basically debate questions from the judges and they each have like 30 seconds to respond, uh, make their statement and then respond to the other person's statement. And then as the rounds move along, uh, you'll now you start to see people get introduced from different segments. So I'm a part of the one that's here for the sports sector. It's a partnership with 76 Capital up in Pennsylvania. I'm gonna go first for esports, but they also have um, sports analytics Two other segments, I can't remember off the top of my head, but as the rounds progress, you'll start to see people from startups in different sub-segments of the sports industry start debating each other. So I believe that event happens, it starts on May 5th, it goes like the 5th through the 14th, I think. I don't have the date in front of me because I don't want to crash the stream again, but it's definitely the (laughs) first two weeks of May. Yeah, I went. I did post it in chat there. Uh, so that was a uh, pitch madness. Pitch madness for those checking that out. So pitchmadness.com slash digital dash debate. Yeah, um, and, and, and I like that. I like that's an interesting uh, way of going about doing this versus like traditional way of you know, hey, five minutes then go. Yeah, um, and like you say, you take it, bits and pieces of it and then bracket style, obviously, kind of gamifying the experience. Uh, so I think it's pretty good. And that, that that's specifically sports tech. This one is sports tech. Um, when they did the prior two years here in Tampa Bay, it was just across the Tampa Bay's ecosystem. And they this is probably their seventh or eighth. So they've done different industries or different cities. This specific one is for sports tech. Gotcha. Well, cool. yeah, definitely, definitely check that out. Um, and then I wanted to also go over, there was one other thing I wanted to touch base on as far as what you guys were doing with a uh, partnership with Beasley Media Group um, with your experiential, experiential marketing. Sure. Great question. So as I mentioned before, we started the pivot of our company to help colleges and other businesses use video games to engage younger audiences and leveraging our network, our global network of amazing game developers and amazing games, indie games, um, and our discovery tech to identify amazing games that have not yet really gone mainstream. So what we're doing is partnering with Beasley Media Group. They've got four test markets we're going to launch the beginning of a nationwide campaign, if you will, promotional campaign um, to support families who are trying to engage their kids with family friendly games, but they don't know what quality games are or where to get them from, but they may also be listening to the radio. So four markets we're launching in starting next month um, here, Tampa Bay, Naples, sorry, Fort Myers, Florida, Detroit and Charlotte. It's 1.3 million combined listeners in those four markets we will be introducing um, a group of five games every week for four weeks. So each week, a different set of five games in each market of the four markets, they will raffle away as a prize, a free copy of each of those five games. And then they'll sell 20 of each of those games at 50% off the market retail price. So if you're a listener in the market, you have a chance to win the game for free for your kids. Or if you don't win one of the five copies, you can buy one at half off, or if not, you know, they'll send you the link to get the retail price. And then, so this this gives families an opportunity to see things. We've got racing games in there, fighting games in there, trying to stay away from shooting games and things with lots of violence, because again, this is geared towards younger kids, mm-hmm. but lots of variety to help families save some money for entertainment and engage their kids um, over the course of this pandemic. And, and it gives you the ability to experience with your kids. Um, you know, and it's, it's also really, it's also really cool. Like some of the games that have lasted some of the, some of the, the IP that's lasted, you know, more than 20, 30 years, because the games that I've played that my kids are now playing, and I always bring out, it probably people, people tired of me talking about this, but Pokemon, 
Like, you know, because my, 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 you know, my, uh, my five year old's like, all right, which one is this? I'm like, well, that's Jigglypuff. I'm like, oh, well, do you need a moonstone to make it a wiggly tough? And he's like, what? I didn't know that, dad. I'm like, oh, I know more than you do. So, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, it's just cool, like, as a dad to kind of go through that. Um, it just, like, I know more than the game you love. And, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I don't know. I just have, have, have fun. And I get to spend time with them too. You know, mm-hmm. so I don't know. And then, and then my two year olds, you know, I've, I've said this too, like he's smart enough now to like go up to like the Google, we have a Google um, a screen, Lenovo screen. And he walks up and he's like, Hey Google, turn on old McDonald's. So like that. So like he's already talking to Google. They already got relationships. So, uh, but it, it's just cool to be able to do things with them in that way. So I, I, I like that project. So. Yeah. Thank you. We're excited to launch that next month. And then, you know, hopefully the pilot goes well, we want to bring in more games and, and help reach listeners and families and in more communities across the country. Uh, Beasley Media Group has 1,200 different markets that they're in. So there's a lot of opportunity there. Very cool. Um, all right. So we got about 10 minutes or so. Uh, we got a couple questions that popped in here. So Ben's, Ben's got a good question. This is actually an interesting shift. Love to get your take on this. So betting on esports is trending up both in Vegas and also online platforms. Is this a good thing long-term, a fad or other? <laughs> I think it's it's I think it it's a good thing with limitations. I think anything in moderation is good, right? There's already traditional sports betting and 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 there's traditional gambling outside of sports betting. And and none of those things are bad in moderation, right? You drink too much water, you can get sick. It can kill you. Um I think there's definitely going to need to be some tools in place to make sure that only people who are 18 and over are gambling. Uh, maybe even some tools in place to, to address gaming addiction, like actual gaming addiction. And not to say that like playing games too much is not an addiction, right? Obviously, the World Health Organization said that it was. And coincidentally, they then recommended strongly that people engage in that, that activity. Yeah, that was ironic. <laughs> right? But, but there's some legitimacy about what they said, right? I'm not trying sure. to dismiss that or discount it. Sure. Uh, but then there's actual, not actual, there's there's like traditional addiction where you're doing things where it damages your health, your 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 livelihood and your family, friends and family, your close ones. Um, I don't think we had those tools in place for esports because esports betting didn't become legal until earlier this week, maybe even this morning. I, I saw that it's Overwatch, it's uh, two other leagues I think they'll allow now. So I think we need more controls in place, but I think it's also a good thing that this becomes more familiar to the traditional space because that helps it go mainstream. Like people who say, oh, I recognize sports betting. So now I understand what esports is because right. I can gamble on it. It, it widens it widens the audience. Um, yeah, so Charles says that day, that so this day was coming, regulate it, and it will help the industry. Uh, yeah, so, you know, long-term, um, I, I think there's, there's, there's obviously good that come out of it, but it's like with anything else, like, you know, like you said, moderation, obviously mm-hmm. for, from the personal standpoint, from the individuals right. participating in it, but right. as a, as a big picture for the industry, I, I think there's more positives than negatives. Right. I and agree. From my perspective on that. Um, yeah. So that's, <clears throat> yeah, I think it was, I think it might have been CSGO as well. Um, CSGO, that's what it was. Yeah. I think CSGO too. So, um, so, and that's, you know, it's going to, it's just going to be, um, they're going to start obviously like anything else, you dip your toe in the water kind of thing. It's not going to just all of a sudden open up to every single title. And, um, so I've, I've had some really cool conversations. Uh, mm-hmm. so a couple of startups out there, like with platforms like PVP and things like that. And, um, I, there's gonna be a lot of innovation around that. And it, that's just obviously just accelerated. So the next year you're going to see a lot of things. Um, and then my brother's connected to a lot of people in smash space with, you know, smash melee and smash ultimate, a lot of PVP ideas and concepts around that. Um, so I, I, I think it's interesting. Yeah. So they said, okay, so Overwatch, Overwatch, COD, CSGO, and iRacing. Okay. And so what's interesting about that as well is if you look at like the average age of, of casino guests, right? It's probably in the 50, 55, 60 range on average, probably nationwide, mm-hmm. right? That That's an older audience. Even if COVID wasn't a thing, which typically has a higher mortality percentage among older uh, demographics, casinos don't have a strategy in place to engage younger audiences. And I can't speak for all millennials, and I'm not Gen Z, but when I went to Las Vegas for CES back in January, I was annoyed that 
90% of the machines I saw in the, the casino were all some different type of slot machine with a different skin on it. I don't want to play slot machines. I don't want to play slot machines if it's got Ninja Turtles on it. I don't want to play slot machines on it if it's got, you know, Wheel of Fortune because I don't want to play slot machines. But I would play a competitive game where I might even potentially bet on a competitive game. I'm just not going to ever play slot machines. So if 90% of what you offer is slot machines, I won't be there spending my money on it. Mm-hmm. So it'll be and interesting it, to see how they adopt it to be more relevant. Yeah, they're kicking around a lot of ideas, uh, having a specific area for, for esports and things like that, and, and kind of making its own space. And uh, it's going to be really cool to see uh, with all that. And Because in June, I was supposed to go um, with esports conference, I believe, uh, with Ari Fox and the team over there. Yeah. Be on a panel with those guys and have some conversations around it. So obviously that's not going to happen. Uh, but it's, there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of potential with it. Um, but I, I just, I'm glad they're, I'm glad they're moving slow. I'm glad that they're, they're, uh, they brought in some titles already and, and that moved fast. I wonder if, I wonder if this environment pushed them a little faster than they may have went, you know, we'll never know that obviously. Right. Um, but it's good to see that I think longer term. I agree. And yeah. And then Charles said, uh, Twitch is getting some solid numbers with online casino games. Uh, yeah, the, and the other the other thing too, uh, got a little bit of history years ago with in, with an online poker scene years ago. For those that for those that um, you know, it blew up in 03. Like 03 to 08 was that yeah. five year blow up where everyone and your uncle played. You're like, what? They play poker, you know? Because it it blew up there for a while, and then you know, and then there was a lot of lot of scandal, a lot of issues around it, and it really got crushed in the U.S. Essentially, what's happened. After they yeah. called it a kind of they, they, the community called it a Black Friday event, uh, basically not not the good, not the shopping. Right. <laughs> it was another Black Friday event. Yeah, I remember uh, I graduated from high school two thousand and four, so I started college freshman year, fall two thousand and four, and I remember seeing poker airing on ESPN, thinking to myself, and we had this conversation out loud, to everybody like, why the hell is this on TV? <laughs> and then by the end of the next semester, we were all playing poker. <laughs> That's a great example. And my question is, how come more don't talk about that when it comes to when it comes to esports and, and I know esports esports has been on ESPN for a while and all that, but league is this is the first time league has been on the mothership of you know yeah. ESPN or ESPN two a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. But no, I hear hardly anyone talking about the poker world and what happened with the poker world. Poker exploded. It, I mean, it was huge, and this is I mean this is oh three, oh four. This was, I can't believe this is 16, 17 years ago. That's almost two decades ago, right? Yeah. But I think people, a lot of people can learn from that and, and what happened there, right? I, th- I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned because I don't, uh, quite frankly, I don't see, I mean, I, I see a lot of similarities, Come, yeah. you know, I, I guess coming from it. So <laughs> yeah, Charles, Charles said the good old World Series of Poker. So anyway, I could talk for a while about all that, but I, I do see some similarities, but um uh, yeah, and the whole, the whole adage of uh, is poker and esports. I don't, I don't want to get into that. So, but yeah, well, one cool. time I, I turned down uh, a royal flush. Like, what is okay? That? Yeah, first, the first three cards of the the flop before the yeah. Time. yeah yeah I had the first three cards and it didn't look. It, I didn't have <laughs> I didn't see the three cards being a royal flush before it happened, and then after like the turn, the last one I was like, I had a royal flush. How often does that happen in the history of poker? And yeah. I turned, like one eight hundred thousand or something, something pretty yeah. quite, pretty crazy. So that's that's funny. So Ken says that's a great comparison. So maybe there's like two people that <laughs> that that uh, resonate with what I said. So that's funny. Well, cool. Hey, well, hey, well, a couple of things. A lot of great questions came in. Thank you all very much for all the questions. I think this is great, uh, Marcus. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, you know, just your experience uh, in, in whether whether it's indie game, whether it's um, uh, whether it's with on the education side of esports and gaming. I think a lot of it is so connected and, and the more we can bring people in that otherwise maybe would have ignored it, um, especially on the, on the educator side. I think it's really important and that's just going to help us bring a, uh, bring in a foundation. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the most important opportunity here is, is creating value creation opportunities for the next generation. I think the next generation of business owners will be creatives and we're starting to see that. I mean, this isn't just happening today. It's been happening for years since YouTube. But now I think it's really going to start to to grow aggressively in light of of shifts people just have had to make out of necessity, right? So it's like if if you got laid off from your job, you could either 
um, you know, apply for unemployment, hopefully it gets filled or go look for another job or potentially be your own small business owner. So if you're going to be your own small business owner, you can play competitively in this space or you can create content or try to work as your own like PR firm or agency. So I'm looking forward to see that growth. That and I think in the end, I think people I think I think young individuals will, will look at it like this, that it's less risky for me to do that mm-hmm. than to get one job. And I said this I probably it's been a while back. It was a post like six months ago. And I said it is more risky to have one job than it is to be a content creator because you have all the different levels of types of revenue coming in. Mm-hmm. If you're running it like a business, right? You have you know, potentially you have sponsors, donations, somebody, a streamer, all the different ways uh, that, that you can be making money, right? right? And then you have all those different sources of income. You're not dependent upon one. So my point was potentially you, you, you are less diversified with one job. Yeah. And I do think the last six weeks has really shown that. I mean, and, and obviously no one knew this was going to happen and things like that. I mean, I, and I understand it's, you know, a once in a three decade situation, but it's, I think people like as you're saying on, on just being aware that it is actually less risky to be like within the content creation space, the streaming space, and the gaming space. That's just where, that's just what I'm kind of what it feels like to me. Yeah, and you look at the dollars, right? You've seen all these industries, including the oil industry, right? The, was the price of oil went to negative dollars, right. uh, but at the same time, the Verizon Network showed a 75 percent increase in gaming activity. Right, mm-hmm. uh, Steam and, and several other profiles or profiles platforms posted record-breaking numbers of concurrent users and hours played. And I think one of my advisors uh, actually just sent me a link that said that last month was the most amount of revenue that uh, which generated from the gaming industry in March since 2008. Mm. So with even with everything else semi collapsing on itself, unfortunately, the gaming industries adapted more quickly than the other industries, especially sports and entertainment. And it's growing, um, not exponentially, but aggressively because of what's happening. So if you had to be in this space, this is the space to be in. And, and then on the other side of it, and I've said it a lot, uh, but when you're making content, that is that is your virtual resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For someone and you're able to build relationships with people that you otherwise wouldn't have like me and you wouldn't have this conversation if it wasn't for linkedin exactly you're right you know what i'm saying it's like little things like you're like i mean it's just it's big it's such a big deal so it's more than just oh i'm making x amount of money from a sponsorship or from donations or from this source of revenue for streaming you're also creating relationships which in my opinion are more important than a job Mm-hmm. because jobs can potentially come and go, you know, relationships I think are more foundational longer term, which can then, cause again, not to, not that you're leveraging people, you know, to put it like that, I'm not trying to put it like that, but relationships can lead to opportunities as well. So that's just something, I just something I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah. I, you know, the only reason we've been able to do this book is because of the investments we've made into relationships the last, you know, seven years that makes this possible, this opportunity possible. So I agree with you 100%. And I also think that LinkedIn is completely underrated as a business development tool, um, you know, in the gaming industry or, or really any industry. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you, you have the ability, especially if you're creating content, to get massive visibility compared to the amount of time and effort it takes to make that content. Mm-hmm. And all of the key decision makers and business owners are all on the same place. Right. It's easy to get to them, easy to to connect with them and do business. And you are starting to see some influencers come in, like some t- top tier TikTok influencers some you, some YouTubers. That. You're starting to see the trickle and it is a very slow trickle, but you're starting to see that a little bit um, in the awareness around it. So I, I like looking afar and looking at those trends. I think it's really interesting to see that. I wonder um, how much of that is a result of Gary Vee going to TikTok. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, he, he has more pull than uh, he might come out and say, <laughs> you know, uh, for like awareness. But yeah, yeah but and even then, uh, you know, it's funny. One of the things he says, you know, I know, you know, he, does, he says it, but he said, you know, 
99% of you won't do what I tell you to do. So <laughs> it's only only 1%. I think that's that trickle I mentioned earlier. It's not like if someone hears it, everybody does it, it but it's that, it is that trickle effect. But you, I, I love, I do see that inflection a little bit. Um, yeah. Some of the top influencers kind of seeing that. So and I don't, mm-hmm. I find that interesting. Well, cool. Um, guys, thank you so much for the questions, the comments. Really do appreciate it. Uh, Marcus, thanks for jumping on here and sharing some insight, man. I appreciate taking the time tonight. Yeah, no problem, man. Thank you for the invite. And uh, thank you, everybody, for the questions. You can um, LinkedIn. Let's continue the conversation for sure. I was, I was going to say, where can, where can everybody get connected to you? Yeah, um, on LinkedIn, Marcus Blockchain Howard. On Facebook, Marcus Blockchain Howard. On Twitter, there are two of me. Um, no blockchain. And occasionally I play, uh, you know, video games on the PS4. I think it's Project MQ underscore Marcus. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed the episode. Just want to thank everyone who has done a five-star rating or review. If you enjoy the content, this is a way to get the word out about the Level Up experience, and I really do appreciate it. A couple things, if you want to get connected uh, outside of the podcast, um, we do a live stream on YouTube and LinkedIn. So just search Level Up Experience on YouTube uh, to be a part of the live stream there. We also do LinkedIn Live, as mentioned. Search my name, Chris Reed, C-R-I-S. R-E-E-D to get notifications on either platform. Thank you all for all the support and we'll see you on the next episode.